Hi, this is Abraham. And this is Shane. So welcome to another spooky edition of Why We Do What We Boo. Ah! Ah! <laughs> Sorry for the... I was not ready for that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway, so, and, yeah, so I'm here with Shane. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. So today we are talking about horror movies. Yes. I'm so, so happy about this topic. <laughs> I know, right? So that kind of automatically answers the question, Shane, do you like horror movies? I love horror movies. We used to spend summers going to Blockbuster and finding the most ridiculous horror movies we could. Nice. Just to see how like absurd they would get. So yes, I am a huge, huge horror film nerd. And if people have been listening to this up to this point, then you will know that we have talked about how much we both like horror movies. You know what horror movie I just saw for the first time was, and I've never seen it before, is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I just saw it last week. <laughs> that movie is one of the most absurd. That's one of the ones that I picked up that was like, it's like that in like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. That one came up as recommended after I watched that. That sounds about time. right. Yes, that sounds about right. Killer Clowns is like, is weird. Yeah, it. there's some very bizarre choices and... I don't know if they hadn't yet decided what acting was at that point in history, but <laughs> there were definitely some people who were like, it looked like if their script was just off screen, they were just reading their lines straight from it. Yeah. They're like, why are we going to go over there? <laughs> Pan to next character. <laughs> if you ever see that clip from the trolls movies, mm -mm. there's this guy and like, there's these monster trolls and they're eating this one person and they start zooming in on this guy's face and he goes, Oh no, they're eating them and they're going to eat me. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> awesome. But I also like legitimately good horror movies, so it's not like yeah. I'm just going like, oh yeah, like give me Nailgun Massacre and let me watch that. Like I want to watch like actual good horror movies too. Yes, and we will get to some of the theories with respect to the quality of the movies themselves. But why do you think that you like horror movies, Shane? Oh, I think for me, I like the idea that you know I think it's a combination of things. I, I like the idea that the good guy comes out through adversity sometimes. You know, I like when they make the character like the antagonist interesting, like that sometimes yeah. it's like a tortured soul or like a misunderstood person. I like that idea. And I don't know. I just I just they're fun. They're just like sometimes they're just fun to watch. Yeah, I've thought about this a lot and I've, I haven't been able to really come up with a very good answer for myself. But I think that once you get over the fear that's maybe a more real sort of sense of fear. Then after that, you can still have being creeped out and being sort of anxious, but it also feels like there's a big element of like, what's going to happen next and sort of trying to predict and figure things out and stuff like that, that I find really interesting. I also, I don't love slasher movies. I do like them, but I tend to like more creepy than gory. And that being said, there's something about the movies where I am kind of oftentimes trying to look at the effects and figure them out and figure out like, man, how did you pull that off? I remember being particularly struck when I watched the movie, man, what was it called? I think it was just called The Haunting, but it was the one where it's like with Liam Neeson and Owen Wilson and yeah, Catherine yeah, yeah. Zeta-Jones. Yeah. And that scene where the the chimney flew 
spoiler alert if you're listening skip ahead like five seconds uh swings down and takes off owen wilson's head and they don't cut in that scene and most of the time there's a cut and then you see the after effect it's like you see it coming and then you see like a head rolling or a body falling or something like that well in this one you just see it come down and just take his head clean off and then you see the head rolling afterwards and i remember watching that and i'd like slow it down and try and figure i'm like where does he turn into a dummy or like how did you pull this off or what did you do to make it look that you didn't have to cut in order to make this scene work. Right. And so like that sort of thing I often think about, I'm like, man, how did they do that transition so quickly? So seamlessly, like what did they do to make that happen? That's something I think that I've been intrigued by. You know, for me, when you get into the storytelling part is like, how do you scare people without having to be like, like, you know, the saw movies are like, just, they tend to be like gross. Yeah. Sometimes like you've heard it described as like torture porn and stuff. Yes. And that's not really like, I like the story. I don't really like go to the movies for like, what are they going to do next? But for me, the scariest movie that I, I mean, I, I will hands down say this a hundred times over. The scariest movie for me is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. And if you watch the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there is very little blood mm. in that movie. Very, very, very little. Like, and it's usually an after effect. It's not like as a result of something that happens on screen. Yeah. So much of that movie is nuance and creepy background stuff. And like my buddy last night said this, you know, the reason that movie is scary is because of the isolation. It's set to this like Southern Gothic background mm. and it's like all isolated and secluded. And that's part of what makes it scary. And there's just something really interesting about that. When you watch the way that film is made, it looks like you're not supposed to be watching it. Well, that's that's a great point. And there really is something to why so many horror movie buffs really love Alfred Hitchcock is he did so much tension building and his way of filming and presenting stories was not about cheap scares. It was about building an atmosphere of he was doing really good storytelling. You know, it was, it's when you can appreciate someone who is good at telling stories, even if you don't necessarily like the content of the story almost becomes irrelevant in a way. I mean, obviously it's important because that's what the narrative is, but it's the way that it's delivered is so important. And he did both. Like he had both really fascinating, well-constructed, thoughtful content and masterful storytelling but you can see movies get away with one of those things and not the other and people really enjoy them too yeah all you have to do is watch rear window and that's a perfect example it's like shot on one set and it makes you it drives you nuts like and it's all about like this guy just in his apartment losing his mind Mm -hmm. it's fantastic it's one of the best storytelling elements i've ever seen it's a good example of a movie that sounds like a super boring premise but is actually really well executed I was like, the guy sitting in his window, that's not a movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's a but picture. Like, it builds. Like, he gets more paranoid, right? Like, he's, right. like, watching his neighbors and watching all this stuff happen. And, like, now he thinks he witnessed a murder. And now it turns into all the suspense. And now this person that murdered this other person's coming after them. Like, and he just, it's, like, it's all from this perspective. And it's just, like you said, it's tension building. It makes you nervous for the main character. It's just... I don't know. Like, and, there, and that's what I think is so great about it is like there's so many different ways you can go about scaring people. And I would like to transition to our topic here. Uh, I think you're making really great points and we'll be getting into more of that. And I think, you know, it's this is kind of a glimpse for people who are not Patreon supporters. We record bonus episodes, which often entail a decent amount of us gushing over movies that we enjoy. <laughs> so we get to kind of do that here a little bit as well. For the remainder of this discussion, we're going to describe some of the theories of why people like horror movies and also declare which of those theories we support the most. And also let us know what resonates most with you and some of the things that we talk here and let us know why you like horror movies. Yeah, for sure. So I think it's we should probably start getting into this. 
Ben. Yeah, absolutely. And as we like to do, we'll begin with a definition, which is important here because I think there are a lot of people who maybe have opinions about what horror means when we talk about horror movies, because for some it just means the gore. But it's just there is kind of a spectrum, if you will, of what could be a horror movie. So what is a horror movie, Shane? So there are a lot of films or certainly many, many, many films that try to blend various genres together that may or may not actually be considered horror. So you'll see some movies that kind of like are like thrillers or suspense. suspense. You'll see those things that are just like action horror, like, I mean, or even comedy horror. Like if you watch any of the Evil Dead movies. <laughs> yeah. Or <laughs> yeah. like. Uh, Dale and Tucker versus evil. <laughs> that one's so good. So a lot of times what happens is a lot of people will blend these genres. So it's really kind of hard to parse out. Yeah, absolutely. And many people have tried to define horror by using some sort of straightforward criteria. And one of the earlier definitions was having a monstrous antagonist. And originally it was actually just written as having a monster. If there was a monster, then it was horror. However, many argue that this is too narrow and instead should focus on the emotion of fear and disgust. And also many pointed out that the monster doesn't have to be a monster. It could be a person who is being monstrous. And that's where that monstrous antagonist comes from. But the most common definition now is that it is a piece of art in the horror genre. And it is fiction that is intended to create an atmosphere and emotional reaction of fear, dread, repulsion, and disgust. Right. And so if you get into like any of the conflicts that you find in writing, like man versus man, man versus world, man versus monster, man versus self, whatever you want to say, those storytelling mechanisms, like those frames could be applied to any, like you could use like fear, dread, and repulsion to apply to any of those things. So that takes the monster out of it entirely. Yep, exactly. So one critical feature of forming a preference about this though, about something in general is to have contact with the thing about which you are forming a preference. So technically one contact is sufficient to form a classification about your emotions toward a thing, like those things like fear, dread, repulsion. Mm -hmm. And consider also that you might be willing to experience multiple versions to allow more comprehensive evaluation to form. So you're going to have multiple experiences around this thing that you form a preference around. So when you talk about people liking movies, they could have one contact or they could have multiple contacts around that. Yeah. And then one contact, you might be able to say, this is my opinion of that. Like, I'm going to apply this opinion to all things that I classify as being related to that one experience I had. And people who are willing to have more of those experiences are then going to round out their description or their, I guess, evaluation of that category a little more comprehensively because of having more contact with it. That being said, you can certainly understand the category of emotions that are associated with an event without having directly experienced that event and be able to form an expectation of your emotion toward that event. So, for example, in the case of being scared from a horror movie, you can, without even having watched a horror movie, you can understand how you might feel about that horror movie without necessarily having watched it because you can you know, we can construct a relation to those experiences and our understanding of what experiences are likely to happen. So if, for example, we are afraid of experiencing fear, then anything we lump into that category of things that are going to elicit fear are things that we're going to form an opinion about, even though we haven't necessarily contacted those things. So for an alternative example of this, you might think of something like where someone says, Oh, this one thing that I did, I'm going to say, I don't know, 
I went to go see the Hot Air Balloon Race. It was so much fun and it was really great. And so you can identify with, I like fun and I like great. So I'm going to go to this thing that you said, because even though I've never been there before, I can understand my relation to those feelings. And the same thing can be applied here is that a lot of people will form an opinion about horror movies without having experienced them because they understand the relation of their emotions to the thing that's likely to cause that emotion. Is that all making sense? Yeah, absolutely. So basically people will like those because they like being scared or they like being kind of having those emotional reactions or they avoid them because they don't really like feeling like that. Yeah, exactly. So people might form a relation to horror movies on the basis of the genre of emotions of being scared and then choose to avoid those situations if they don't like them or choose to seek them out if they do, just as you said. And furthermore, as we will see, the expectation going into a horror movie any movie really and probably anything at all that you do but with respect to why people like horror movies it can be important that expectation can be important to determining the extent to which someone will enjoy and subsequently form that sort of categorical opinion about that genre of movies yep and about specific movies in that genre too so we can talk about it all day right yeah people had a really hard time with that when they first announced it and people were loving that new one so yeah All right, so let's get into some of the hypotheses as to why people like horror movies. And I'll start by saying that although we are going to enumerate these hypotheses, we're not specifically endorsing any of these just by the fact that we listed them. We will actually say which ones we think hold the most water, what are the most likely, and we'll do a sort of summary at the end of this part of the discussion. So the first one we'll talk about, I'm going to call excitation transfer process. And this was described by a researcher named Glenn Sparks, PhD, at the Brian Lamb School of Communication at Purdue University. And she said, essentially, there are two factors that while watching horror movies, people are A, usually in a safe environment with preferred people, and B, experience heightened arousal. So all that seems fine so far. Yeah. Therefore, after the movie, that heightened arousal intensifies the positive emotions of the context. So because they're more aroused than the feelings of the safety, of camaraderie with their friends, of enjoying the snacks that are with the movie, all the things that are good that happen that are all after the movie, those experiences are going to feel more intense because they're at a heightened state of arousal. So Essentially, those positive feelings give a sense of reward, which is then associated with the movie itself. Yeah. So essentially what ends up happening is like the momentum of arousal from the movie carries over into all the positive things that are part of that context. Exactly. So when you're, you know, like popcorn is cooler and tastes better. Yeah. Because you have a heightened arousal at the moment. Yes. That is precisely what is being stated here. And of course, the exact opposite might be true if you're experiencing a negative context during or right after the movie with people you don't like very much, then you go into those situations with that heightened sense of arousal and have that increasingly negative feeling toward that movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think from a physiological standpoint, this makes sense. You could probably confirm objectively that there is a heightened state of arousal. Like there are biological markers you could look for to say that's a thing that we're calling arousal. That's a thing that's definitely present. The extent to which that actually augments the experiences that we have and how we evaluate and appraise those experiences. I don't know. Like, I don't know that we could say that that's exactly the case. Like, it's entirely possible we could be more critical of our experiences more discerning of them and not necessarily have that influence from the fact that we're just a little worked up. And, you know, like you mentioned biological markers, I know there are tests where you can actually measure um, like biochemical hormones and stuff related to stress. 
But then you're going back to the social construct of like what stress is, and that's where it gets a little bit fuzzy. So from a physiological, from an anatomy, from a biological standpoint, yes, you can measure arousal and what arousal looks like. But now you're talking about arousal in relation to social context, which gets a little bit iffy. Yeah. And that being said, there are things about this that make a lot of perfect sense. They're talking about you're in a safe environment. That's true. You're probably with preferred people. Probably true. You're probably having something good to snack on. That's probably true. And then you leave that situation and you are, again, contrasting the experience of potentially feeling scared with, again, a feeling of safety, a feeling of friendship, all of that stuff. So that sort of is a relief, if you will, from that experience. So, I mean, it's not necessarily terrible. I think there's a lot of really workable ideas inside of this hypothesis i think that i like it so far yeah i can be okay with that one cool all right so let's go on to our next hypothesis yes so our next hypothesis is hardwiring or the idea that some people are adrenaline junkies yeah and we will cover this in a little more depth in a topic at some point in the future we've it's been on the list for a while yeah so essentially what this says is that some people are just hardwired in their brains to prefer high levels of psychological and physiological arousal they just need it Yeah, essentially, people who are more sensitive than most to sort of highly stimulating situations are believed to enjoy highly arousing situations is how this one goes. I can certainly see why for a lot of people this has immediate appeal because it is appealing to or is referring to those biological observable things, which is that if we're rooting this in in something like biology in our genes and our brains and things, we know we have genes, we know we have brains. So if we say that if genes and brains are present while we have those experiences, they must have caused those experiences. It's not 100% wrong, but there are lots of issues that I personally have with this one. Go on. <laughs> well, for one thing, the people who are more sensitive to arousal, in my experience, tend to try and avoid that additionally heightened arousal. Like they're already worked up, they're already anxious, they're not looking for more anxiousness, you know. Right. And so my thought about this is that it actually makes a lot more sense for people who tend to have a low state of arousal tend to seek out those more highly stimulating things. So I think that part of this, that people who are already more aroused are seeking this out, I think that part is especially problematic. If you were to just switch it and say people who are low stimulated are more likely to seek those out, then that one makes a little bit more logical sense. But I don't know that there's a lot of empirical evidence or epistemological reason for this to actually be the case like you got to think about the fact that of course i don't know if we said this exactly in this way but like our brains our experiences they don't happen in a vacuum and so this idea that like there's just brain brain says horror movies good therefore like horror movies or brain says horror movies bad therefore like horror movies how does the brain know about horror movies you know our experiences shape the way that we relate to those things and it is a dynamic interconnected process Yeah, I mean, I think it's your point to saying somebody with low arousal would probably seek out something like this more often to get that heightened state of arousal makes the most logical sense. Like in the addictions world, they describe it as chasing the purple dragon, right? Yeah. Like you're always chasing that next high. And that, I guess, from a logical, from like what you would describe as like, quote, common sense, that area makes sense. But again, like common sense is not science. So there's not that evidence to support that statement or that argument. Yeah. I'm going to say meh on that one. Yeah, I say I give that one a more or less thumbs down to the hard wiring aspect of it. Now, that's not to say that there are not adrenaline junkies. I think that's that's a whole separate issue, but just that that is how people are described as adrenaline junkies. All right. So the next hypothesis here is the novelty and 
related to this, interestingly, is the concept of evolution. So this comes back to Sparks again, Glenn Sparks, and also another doctor, Joanne Cantor of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or I think she's adjunct faculty or something. And so this hypothesis states that it's useful from an evolutionary perspective to be sensitive to anomalies that disrupt our routine. So essentially, it is useful for us to be intrigued by things that stand out to us essentially is what this is saying right so the things when our routine is not blood gore creepiness and being scared then those things are going to be novel and strange to us so they're going to stand out as anomalies and capture our attention okay yeah i can see that all right and then the other side too to kind of speaking of novelty is like sometimes in these movies the visual effects can be such a spectacle that people find them visually arresting and people try to figure out how they're accomplished you mentioned that at the top of the episode when you're like how do they cut off wilson's head yeah <laughs> that novelty around that is something that is like you could find that with a lot of genres of movie like not just horror movies and not how as in like research for trying to do it myself but how as in i'm very curious at how this was accomplished because it's very interesting yeah i don't want to cut off owen wilson's head visual effects <laughs> yeah owen wilson is a perfectly fine person as a matter of fact i don't think that we want to cut off anybody's head yes very true they do say that although these people enjoy the spectacle that negative emotions are quote-unquote stored in the amygdala and that these resonate longer and more intensely so that legitimate fear can create a negative experience of the movie if we are actually experiencing like a unpleasant level of arousal around the movie, then that's something we're more likely to remember. And another factor here too, that we kind of talk about is this idea of association. So association is going to be really important for this particular theory, right? So a novel association with a neutral thing, like a William Shatner mask from the Halloween movie can make that neutral item. Now a positive one or a negative one, depending, right? Yep. And alternatively, Things that are, quote, close to home for people can make that experience aversive. So things associated with a movie can also be adversely impacted, creating negative associations where once there was a positive one, like a positive association, such as people who love swimming and then seeing Jaws, they probably won't like swimming anymore. But they may like Jaws. They may dislike Jaws. There's a lot of different things that can happen as a result of these associations. Yeah. So essentially, one thing that, that they were describing was that people who feel really strongly about something that's positive for them like let's say i don't know gymnastics and then there's like a horror movie where it takes place at like a gymnastics place they're like hey don't ruin this for me i love gymnastics and so that's the thing with swimming is there, there could be people who are like i like going to the beach and that sort of thing like don't ruin this for me this is a thing that i love and so that can make them dislike the movie alternatively you can have people who like see this as sort of a celebration of the thing that they like so that association is just really critical there yeah, I feel like marine biologists probably can't stand Jaws. <laughs> it's not scientifically accurate. <laughs> Especially Jaws 3. So, critiques on this one? So, I think that the idea of the evolutionary piece and like kind of if you look at that from a like a more generalized standpoint, I could understand how those novel stimuli would put us on guard. Yeah. To me, that makes sense, right? Like Absolutely. This idea that like, hey, there's something new in my environment. I've never contacted this, so I'm hyper aware that it exists, and I'm going to see if that's whether or not that's a danger or not that's going to impact my survival. So from that piece, that makes sense. From the novelty piece, it also makes sense, specifically the visual effects. Like, I think about that a lot when I'm watching something. I'm like, how did they do that? That is a new thing, and especially as somebody who likes to watch old horror movies yeah, and then go back to watching new ones, I have a hard time suspending belief. Because with new ones, you're like, okay, that's very clearly CGI blood. Yeah. You know? So I have a hard time with those visual effects. But, like, yeah, I mean, to me, like, the novelty and the evolution piece, it's interesting that they're kind of tied together. 
But I also think that I feel like this one makes more sense than some of the other ones so far. Yeah, actually, I think, yeah, there's a lot of things in here that stand out to me as being very reasonable, as you said, with the evolution piece that one thing that would be implied by this evolution piece in terms of the anomaly standing out to us is that this would predict that if our experiences were a lot of horror and gore and stuff like that, that we would be less likely to be interested in more of that because that's already what our normal is and that instead we look for things that are different from what our normal is which would be something else and actually that is kind of what we already do see which if you look at people for example who have experienced war or war-torn countries unlikely to want to watch movies that really visually depict that experience that's their normal and people who for example suffer from ptsd are also unlikely to try and seek out things that are likely to trigger that experience of bringing up their trauma and so i think that already is something that would be predicted by this that is very clearly already observed and also makes a lot of sense and the other part of here, the association piece, this one I think also makes sense. And it's a little complicated just because it's hard to say what the associations are going to be. Like the prediction here isn't very clear. So it's just hard to say like what makes the most sense. Yeah. When we get into like individual learning history, sure. Like you can start digging into that, but that doesn't speak to the entire species. Yeah. So another theory that we'd want to look at here would be gender socialization. And this would be the idea that we are conditioned to believe that being brave in the face of fear is masculine it's manly right supposedly supposedly and we don't subscribe to this so don't take that for what that is but statistically more men report enjoying horror movies than women so you see more men going to see these movies i guess there is based on this hypothesis a certain satisfaction by living into the stereotype that men have braved the fearful experience and appear to be unfazed by it. And furthermore, women who seek physical closeness for protection can sort of reinforce that sense of masculinity because they're there to, they protect you and do that brave thing. So this is essentially a social expectations piece. A lot of people argue they're like, well, they don't like teach you this. So they don't teach you to be this way in school. And like, okay, yeah, that's true. They don't, they don't sit you down and tell you these are all the things you need to do to be masculine. But the context for this is created across the board in especially Western civilizations and other cultures will have other expectations about what it means to be masculine, etc. But this one, I think there does make a lot of sense in terms of the idea well we haven't gotten to critiques yet but that's what this is saying here is that there's a satisfaction of being masculine yeah a study showed that men reported liking a horror movie that they saw with a female who was scared whereas females reported enjoying the movie more when the male counterpart that they were with wasn't scared yeah so i mean there's then some empirical traction to this although you know self-report is questionable generally speaking Right. And then you get into issues of like defining gender and stuff too, which is a whole different thing, but we're not going to get into that today either. As far as critiques for this one, I guess there may be some like social validity, maybe, maybe not social significance. I don't feel like it's social significance, but there's some social validity to the idea that like it just gets reinforced like that behavior or that like set of behaviors gets reinforced because of some problematic schema related to masculinity in general like it's almost like this like issue of toxic masculinity to me yeah you know something i see in this one because i think there definitely is something about this that makes sense with respect to the idea that there is a stereotype and that there would be a positive experience around being unfazed and being like appearing masculine that all makes a lot of sense you can see the sort of social context built around this that is very clearly there and that that sort of 
I guess, social reinforcement, if you will, is something that could work in the situation. What's weird about distinguishing this in terms of it being masculine or feminine is it seems like there's a lot of variance that's not accounted for by that distinction. So why are there so many women who like horror movies independently of watching them with a man if this is a gender thing? You know, Essentially, what I think makes the most sense is that this could be somewhat of a factor for some people. Like Probably what's going on is a lot of these different hypotheses, some element of them are accurate, but that this is not the most important and maybe not the most significant either. I agree with that. Absolutely. All right, cool. The next hypothesis is that horror movies serve as a distraction. The idea here is that this gets your mind off of things that are bothering you by providing sort of this shocking, engaging visual entertainment. And also similar to that is that this is a treatment for being bored. So it's just it's something to do. And if there's something that's bothering you, then it is a way to distract yourself from those things. And then in addition, in a way, you're kind of juxtaposing the danger of the movie as it's being depicted against the safety of the situation that you're in. That's like, I guess, maybe when you go to an aquarium and you see the shark tank, that to me is like that kind of thing, too. It's like, I'm safe. You're over there. There's the danger in there. Right. But I don't know. I feel like you could just make the same argument for the distraction piece for any other movie and kind of any other activity too. like literally anything else. Anything else could be a distraction. It's all experiential avoidance. Yeah. If that's the case. Why pick that movie in particular? I mean, I don't know. Like, it seems like distraction seems perfectly fine in terms of explaining avoiding something that's unpleasant and like being distracted by it. It doesn't explain why choosing horror specifically, though. Right. Uh, That's exactly it. It's like it's not specific enough. It doesn't really give us any reason to explain why we like horror movies. So if I want to be distracted, I'm probably not going to go watch Hellraiser. (laughs) That's right. So when you want to be inspired, you go watch Hellraiser. <laughs> yes. I, I love Pinhead's hair. <laughs> Another one, too, and we're, we're covering quite a bit. There are a lot of different explanations for this, which is really interesting. So another one that we want to talk about is expressivism or, or this idea of an emotion purge. So essentially what this argues is that we enjoy horror because it gives people an outlet to express and hence dispel the negative emotions that they may have building up inside them. So Furthermore, it works because it can be done in a make-believe way. So you get to do this emotional purge in a kind of like a role-play situation that you don't actually have to engage in any behavior or do anything to actually emotionally purge. Yeah, so sort of a metaphor that represents this is it's sort of like getting an oil change for your emotions. You get to drain out all the gross muck that's been building up in your brain engine, and then you refill it again with clean ones i guess but that's essentially sort of the metaphor in terms of this is that we get to dump out all those negative things that have been building up inside us and start fresh yeah i don't buy it no this is such nonsense i mean first of all and we talked about this when we did our anger management episode like two years ago that when you practice doing something you practice doing that thing more so going to a place and experiencing fear doesn't eliminate fear from your body really all you're doing is practicing all the behaviors that go around that fearful event and that may attenuate your experience of the fear but it's not because you are purging out your emotions that just it doesn't make any sense at all no i when i read it i was like "Mm, no yeah no we're getting back to old philosophy where they talk about like forms and humors and stuff like that yeah i give this a rotten tomato score of five percent and two thumbs down yeah this is paul blart mall cop 2 level (laughs) theory (laughs) throwing shade throwing shade (laughs) all right the next one is kind of nebulous but this is a hypothesis that people like horror movies because of their individual characteristics and motives and this is 
in my opinion, when I was reading this particular hypothesis, this is the hypothesis of I don't want to give a hypothesis. Basically, it just says people have their own individual motives for going to see horror movies and that they like them for different reasons. It might be that we enjoy seeing the spectacle, we are sadistic, or we enjoy seeing harm come to others, or we see it as a social activity, sort of like drinking, or we find them entertaining, or whatever. Basically, the idea here is just that everybody has their own reason for going to like see horror movies. So, basically, that's the most non-committal theory <laughs> right. on the planet. That's when your friend asks you to go do anything, and you're like, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Yes. It's also sort of like... If you could explain every single thing that people do in this way of people do things for the reasons that they are unique to them. I'm like, uh, that's what that theory says. Oh, we do this because of reasons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like them because of reasons. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Why do you like food? Because it tastes. Yeah. Like, come on, get out of here. Food. <laughs> I like food. Another one, too, that we that we want to cover is this idea of inherent darkness, which is so metal. <laughs> that should be a band name i guess <laughs> Inherent Dark. it's gotta be somewhere so essentially this hypothesis is fairly popular and claims that inside of everyone is a dark evil harm loving monster essentially that like that's sort of at the root of who we are not that it lives in like your armpit or something yeah you're not walking around with like some like a uh, little demon like hey hey we need to go see it too <laughs> Yeah, so the idea here is that we love to go to horror movies because we enjoy seeing torture, we enjoy seeing death happen to others, we enjoy seeing blood and gore and war and destruction and all those horrible things. And yeah, that's essentially what this is saying. That's not why I like horror. I feel like I like horror movies because I like the way the films are shot. They are shot very different than other movies. Yeah. And I think the stories are engaging. Like you are talking about a conflict that needs to be resolved. Like I think that stuff is interesting. I don't like seeing people get hurt. Right. Yeah. And I, I've said on the podcast before, I really don't like seeing people actually get hurt. I love seeing the spectacle of fake violence. I think it's tremendously entertaining. But the moment that I think that anything is real, it makes it really hard for me to watch. Even when I learn when I'm watching movies now, see stunts being done, and then I'll find out that that stunt person got actually really hurt by that, then it makes me not want to watch that scene anymore. Yeah. And so, like, that sort of thing. I mean, so this just doesn't resonate with me, but I also think it doesn't reflect almost anyone i'll concede that maybe there are some people who go to watch horror movies because they do actually legitimately enjoy seeing harm come to people but i mean they've got to make up such a tiny tiny fraction of a percentage of the people who like horror movies i think that they're basically not even worth talking about you know when i think of alfred hitchcock movies I have a hard time watching birds because he was throwing actual birds at people during that. Wow. Birds is a tough one to watch, but rear view is not. I mean, in vertigo is another one where it's like you can watch it and it's not harmful. So like, it's the same thing. I can't watch something that like, I think that somebody's actually getting hurt. That's tough to bear. Yeah. Cool. All right. The next hypothesis here is that people who like horror movies are essentially cinephiles. So I'm going to call this the cinephile hypothesis. And this is essentially that people like movies, especially when they're very well done. And it doesn't necessarily need to be horror, but a horror movie that has good acting, good directing, good script, good camera work, that these are films that are going to be enjoyed by people who appreciate that sort of thing. And, you know, when they appreciate good storytelling. And so they'll like a lot of movies. And they just don't weed out horror movies because they create that emotion of fear. They are just about the art of the movie. And, you know, I feel like this one just goes back to the idea of preferences. 
more than anything else yeah i don't know i mean i feel like i can understand that but from like a like from a cursory kind of like a daily living like a layperson perspective like to me i could understand as somebody who enjoys movies i could subscribe to this right sure but i still think that's a preference argument yeah i I agree i think that where this succeeds is that i think that there are people for whom this is absolutely true that they just like movies and i think there are people who particularly like horror movies because of how difficult it can be to create that atmosphere and do so in a way that's not tacky and do so in a way that actually works for a lot of people it's difficult to create an art medium that appeals to a a wide audience you know a lot of people have figured out a sort of formula that works Marvel. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) But for things like this, especially when you're trying to create a particular emotion in this and that one of like being creeped out, that's so individualistic that can be really difficult. And so I can see why people, why this would make a lot of sense for certain people. That being said, this doesn't explain probably why most people that like horror movies, like horror movies. I think this would work for a portion of them, but not a lot. But I also agree that for me, one of the things I like is when you get a good horror movie that has all of those, like just good movie making elements. And it would explain to an extent why there are people who like horror movies who don't like poorly done horror movies. Right. Exactly. I think as we go through, we're kind of finding that like each one of these things, except for a couple, could like take up a piece of the pie. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because they they kind of approach it from different angles. A lot of them do. Yeah. And so the final theory that we're going to talk about is this idea of experiences and consequences, which I feel is like right in our wheelhouse. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so essentially, this hypothesis states that the extent to which someone will enjoy a horror movie depends on the overarching experience with that horror film. Yeah, this does kind of it shares some elements with some of the other ones that we talked about. So, for example, positive contexts and social reinforcement are likely to result in the preference for certain movies or types of movies. And that could be specific to the horror genre. I could tell you, like, my experience with film in general is I took a really cool film and lit class in high school and I learned how to, like, watch movies. Mm-hmm. So that specifically gave me a positive context in which like okay here's how i watch movies and that changed the entire way i saw it yeah absolutely but more specifically when certain circumstantial features such as good food safety comfort friends significant others a break from monotony or a break from work high expectations and a fun situation set a precedent that someone is more likely to enjoy the movie so that's kind of what happens they have all this cool stuff happening I'm more likely to enjoy a movie when things are good. Yeah, basically a whole bunch of good things all wrapped around a single experience. And then if after watching the movie, there is this sort of sense of fun, there could be a sense of relief if it was particularly scary. There could be that feeling of excitement. And again, that social reinforcement, then you're probably going to reflect positively on that experience. Yeah. So let's do this. Imagine that you're going out with your best friends and a date with a person and you are really looking forward to spending time with them, with all these people, and you get some good snacks and some comfortable seats and enjoy a well-made film and then leave and hear lots of positive reviews from your friends and do something else fun after the movie. It sounds like you're going to remember that feeling, and it sounds like that experience was really, really great, regardless of the genre of the movie. Right. And it could be that in a lot of these cases, it happens to be horror, that someone else has already developed that preference, and so they suggest you go out. And so you leave that horror movie with the sense of, I liked that movie. That's a horror movie. I like horror movies, as we talked about earlier in terms of how those preferences form, and that sometimes we base our opinions off of experiences we haven't had, and sometimes we it only takes one contact to start to begin to form a generalization about a particular genre of things yeah i think that's good great all right so let's kind of start to wrap this up i want to just speak to something also in terms of this preference thing there's a related factor in preferring horror movies that pertains to both 
whether you will or won't enjoy horror movies and also how we choose to talk about them. And that is that once we have stated definitively that we do or don't like something, we tend to find more opportunities and reasons to defend that position. So said in another way, it sort of becomes part of our identity. So if we are someone who says that I hate horror movies, then every time it comes up in conversation, I'm going to restate that opinion. When given the opportunity, I'm going to avoid it and probably restate that opinion. And there is just a lot of opportunities to stand on that ground of I have declared that I don't like horror movies, so I'm going to defend that I don't like horror movies, right? And alternatively, if you have stated I have declared that I like horror movies and therefore I'm going to defend that I like horror movies. And that becomes a way of reacting to those situations. Yeah, and essentially what ends up happening is we set these expectations and we actually create a set of rules and cling to them about the things that we choose to do and that can actually further influence our choices and actual experiences of those movies. So when I say I don't like it, then that's going to set the expectation that like, I'm not going to like it regardless of what you do or what point you make. Yeah. And this is like, you know, this is a pretty innocuous example, but you can see this applied to a lot of different situations. If I say I'm Democrat and I lean heavy into that, like those are a set of rules that I would probably set for myself and not be willing to hear another side, you know? Yeah. It's a good example. So we do this a lot. We set these rules and this is actually where like people who are really stubborn kind of set these rules too. Mm -hmm. But what ends up happening is if we say we don't like a movie, we expect that we won't like that movie. And in the rare opportunity to experience that movie, we're going to lean toward, I didn't really like it. We're already going to set ourselves up for that experience. Yeah. And I think as an example of this, I have sort of stated, I don't like sweet and savory flavors combined like pineapple on pizza for example and so i tend to avoid those things and in acknowledging the fact that my declaration might be influencing my actual experience of those things i've decided to try them again and i have found that there are certain ones that i'm more willing to enjoy or more likely to enjoy and more willing to try than others so for example for whatever reason mango i can tolerate with some savory things better than other sort of sweet stuff and i think it's because it's got that sort of thick creamy sort of texture to it yeah whatever it is that's one that i found and so i've been more open to some of those experiences what's actually funny is i was confronted by someone who's like wait you're trying this thing and you said you don't like sweet and savory combined i'm like i'm not gonna follow my rule about it i'm like i want to experience things and i'll have an opinion about them based on my experience so i do follow a rule about it i was i was not correct about that but i also want to be open to the fact that I don't want to just shape my perspective based on that rule. So I recently did the same thing. One of my good friends is a big fan of cigar bars. And so I was like, I am not somebody who has ever tried a cigar and I don't like the culture around it. This is kind of the expectation I set for myself. And he was like, you should go try one. I was like, okay. And I realized I didn't like it, but I tried it. And it's something that if I had held that strong rule before, I never would have even contacted that experience. So having that ability to kind of be flexible with it is going to be really critical for figuring out, hey, you might like something and you may contact this new experience that you wouldn't have before as a result of arbitrary rules that you're setting for yourself. This sort of reminds me of that scene in the TV show Parks and Recreation where the character Leslie, she as a gift for whatever reason, I don't, I don't remember for the character, Tom, he's obsessed with sort of wealth and status symbols. And at one point she gives him like smoking slippers and a smoking chair and a box of cigars. And he's never actually tried cigars. So he sit he sits down and fires one up. And like two seconds later, he's like, I do not like this at all <laughs> that was it that's what happened yeah. i was like yeah this is yeah. not I, i've done it i don't need to do it again you know that's fair 
All right. So Shane, which of these hypotheses made the most sense to us and why? So I think the experiences and consequences thing makes the most sense as far as like just you're talking about general experiences for people. And I think that that influences, you know, for example, like if I have fun at a horror movie with some friends, then I'm probably going to like that experience and want to engage in that experience again. That makes sense. That experience probably led to me having like that cinephile type of experience or that label or that set of rules around that where I go, here's what I like. Here's what I like to do. And I just like good movies, you know, and I think that also the idea of novelty too. those three kind of like really speak to me where I'm like, these make the most sense for my personal learning history in my life. Yeah, I, I essentially agree with all of that. I do see a lot of merit in the idea that to some extent, the social expectations around bravery and masculinity will certainly work for some people. And I'm embarrassed to admit that I have noticed for myself in some instances of watching horror movies of, oh, I wasn't scared by that. I don't get scared by these things. And like sort of, and I don't know if it was me thinking that it was manly or not, but just being proud of myself for not being afraid or being brave was something that has showed up historically in my experience. And it's not really part of it most of the time, but I definitely have had that thought at some point. So I could see why that would make sense as a piece of why some people like these movies, but I think that just doesn't go very far. But otherwise I agree with you that the ones that make the most sense are talking about that novelty piece in terms of what are we already used to? That's something that's going to stand out. And then I think that context of fun and sort of social gathering stuff that can be when that's related to specifically the horror genre, then I think you're just more likely to have that sort of like, this is something I like and I like these positive social things. So that's sort of where I'm at with that as well. Yeah, I think that's great. I think at the end of the day, none of them really explain why we like horror movies in particular. It's fair. This would explain just about every situation that's new or novel or fun or positive or whatever you want to describe. It could really describe any of those situations. It doesn't really get into like horror movies specifically because we don't I don't believe in the idea of inherent darkness. No, definitely not. Some of these hypotheses were terrible, but I think that. There is not a one reason that we like horror movies is something that is sort of comes out of this is that there are a lot of factors for why we develop preferences about things, especially something as nuanced as a movie and complex as a movie, because that requires so much in terms of being able to understand storytelling and the culture in which you were raised and how much that story is going to make sense to you and stuff like that. It's, it's a complex thing. So there's a lot of reasons for or a lot of factors that are important in determining whether or not someone's going to like a horror movie but what would you put as maybe your top three horror movies and not necessarily in order top three horror movies i would say texas chainsaw massacre is number one i think hellraiser is up there for me just because as an atheist myself that whole situation is terrifying even if i don't believe in it yeah and i mentioned Rearview a couple times i think that one was like one of the simplest horror movies it just made you get in your head and i think that that one is just one of those things it's like it was scary because you make it scary not because it was fair so i would say those are my three i tend to say that poltergeist is one of my favorites the original one not the remake <laughs> Of course. And also not necessarily the sequels, which were fine, but not my favorite. The first original one, I think even today is still legitimately like good horror. And I would also probably put up there Psycho, the original Psycho. I just, I know like Hitchcock has a great filmography and for whatever reason, Psycho is one that has just always really stood out to me. And third is I really do enjoy the sort of horror comedy mashup genre. And so, and this one's sort of on the cusp of that. 
I love Cabin in the Woods. I think that movie is so <laughs> good. That movie was wild. Yeah. Just what a fun premise and did not see the ending coming and just such good performances out of the actors in that. Like Chris Hemsworth is fantastic in that one. So good. Bradley Whitford is so funny. Just fantastic. Yeah. Like I always like the way that Stephen King told stories too. I think that he's another yeah. really great horror genre person. He's just very interesting and very unique. You know, like Salem's Lot, Pet Cemetery, Carrie, all those ones are just like I don't know, man. Like, there's just, there's a lot. I mean, but that's, that's exactly it. Like, when you think about this, like, we have preferences for these things, but they're all very different. We didn't even talk about things like aliens. Oh. Or like alien in general. Like, alien is great. Event Horizon is insane. I agree. And I take it back. Although I love Cabin in the Woods and I think that I would put that in my top five, I replace it with Alien. You are correct. Alien was, is definitely in my top three. That movie yeah. is fantastic. Unreal. Unreal. And then Aliens would be an action movie. Uh, picks because that movie is amazing. Actually, yeah. What does Bill Paxton say in that movie? It's like, game over, man. Game over. Game over, man. <laughs> so good. Uh, love Bill Paxton. Oh, rest in peace. Yeah. RIP. <laughs> oh. All right. So, yeah, I sort of think that wraps it up. There's a lot of things to unpack inside of this, but hopefully you enjoyed our discussion here. We got to gush about movies that we like. We got to talk about why we like those movies and then why people generally like horror movies. So, yeah, that was what we did. <laughs> yeah, I think that does it for this episode of Why We Boo What We Boo. <laughs> <laughs> boo. Okay. Uh... All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for recording with me today, Shane. Reach out to us. Let us know what your favorite horror movies are or what we got wrong about what we uh, what we said our favorite horror movies are, maybe, or anything <laughs> else. And why you like horror movies. I'd love to hear your reasoning for that. And then tag us on social media. We'll say something spooky back to you, maybe. So, yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, thank you for listening. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We are out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcast or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.